we're going to be continuing in our series, uh, Jesus in Every Story. And what we're doing is we're just looking throughout the Bible and, and just coming to the realization that everything points us to Jesus. And the book that we're going to be looking at today is uh, 1 Samuel. We're going to be looking at chapter 8. But before I do that, I have a question for you. I want to see if you're struggling with something that, that I struggle with as well. Have any of you ever found yourself wanting something, like really wanted something, but you knew it wasn't good for you? Anybody? Thank you. All right, I got a couple. Yeah, maybe it's too expensive. Um, maybe you got friends surrounding you saying, just, this is not a good idea. Maybe just even deep down you know it's not something that you should be doing. Well, when I was thinking about that, and the fact that I have some of those things, and, and I still want them anyway, one thing really popped into my mind. General So's chicken. <laughs> right? Anybody else? General So's? All right. It's awesome. Right? It's deep fried. It's got this glaze thing on it. The heat, it is, oh, it's fantastic. Problem is, five minutes later, General So's does not love me back. Right? It feels like this lead balloon sitting in my stomach for like the next day. I start getting the sweats. It's like, what, what was I doing? You know, I wanted something that I knew probably not the best idea for me. That's the situation that we're encountering, uh, encountering in our scripture today. A little bit more serious than Chinese food, but what we're going to be looking at is a point in time in the history of the Israelite people um, where they are pursuing something that is just not right for them. Just to give you a little bit of background so you, you know sort of where we are in that historical timeline, we're about 400 years past the Exodus. So um, when God freed the, uh, his people from Egypt with the 10 plagues, the part of the Red Sea, and they've now been in the promised land that, that God gave them for a number of years. And what they've seen over the years is just time and time again of God's provision. He keeps showing up. He keeps protecting them. He's always faithful. But one of the other things that we see is that that's not always the case with his people. Over and over again, they turn away from him. They're disobedient. They pursue other gods. They worship idols. And that was especially true during this time that we're looking at here. This is towards the end of the, of the period of judges. Um, these were people that God had appointed to you know, oversee the nation and provide guidance and protection to them. And they had various, uh, varying levels of success in doing that. But if you ever read through the book of Judges, one of the things that you're going to see is this pattern. No matter how much God steps up, no matter how many times he, he shows himself faithful and provides to his people, they are always turning away from him. You know, one of the lines that you'll see over and over um, in the book of Judges is they did what was right in their own eyes. So that's where we're at right now in, in history, and that's where this scripture jumps in. I'm going to give you an overview so you know what to expect here. They're at the end of the reign of the judges, and we're really at a historical crossroads here. They know that God is their true king. It's why there were judges. They didn't have a king over them because God was their true king. 
But what we're going to see today is the people didn't care. They wanted a king that they could choose. They didn't want to be set apart. Um, we're going to see that they wanted to be like everybody else. And we're also going to see that as they're demanding this, God actually gives them a warning. Like, hey, if you go in this direction, this is what's going to happen. They hear that warning and they say, give us the king we want anyway. And then God grants the request. So that's a Cliff Notes version of what we're going to be reading today. But what I really want to do is try to dive a little bit deeper and find out what's fueling all of this, what's behind it. And we're going to look at four different things today. The first is this. We're going to take a look at the warning and the consequences that God is telling them about if they make this decision to pursue another king. And then we're going to take a look at some whys. Why do the people respond the way they do once they've heard that warning? And then we're also going to take a look at why did God grant their request? And then once we take a look at all that, I want us to see how does this impact us? We're going to see throughout that there's a lot of direct parallels for what the Israelites were doing, the decisions that they were making, and exactly what we do. So I want to find out, where's our hope in that situation? So that's where we're headed. We're going to look at the warning and the consequences, the people's response, God's response, and then the hope that we have. So let's just take a moment to pray before we read the scripture. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Um, we're going to be hearing some difficult things, the, the reality that, that our hearts just do not pursue you. And I ask that through this specific account that it just opens our eyes um, so that we have a better understanding of where our relationship is with you. And then we can just learn to grow and love your son Jesus more and more. And we pray this in his name. Amen. All right, so again, we're in 1 Samuel, and we're going to be reading chapter 8 today. And the scripture says this. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So just pause there for a second. As I said, this is the, the end of this, sort of this reign of judges. And what we're seeing here is the exact thing we've seen before. Some of these judges veer off in the wrong direction, even though they're appointed by God. And it's also a reflection of the people that they're serving. So in response to that, we'll continue on in verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, 
forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his, cho- his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground, to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. I know sometimes when I read scripture, I have to read through it a couple times to kind of figure out what's going on. This is pretty straightforward, right? It's exactly what we said at the beginning. The people are rejecting God. They're demanding another king. God warns them. They still demand another king. And then God grants their request. But I want to dive a little bit deeper here. And I think there's a key point that we need to understand before we talk about our four questions. What the Israelites are doing is a flat-out rejection of God. They're committing the exact same sin that Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's the exact same sin that uh, Jesus spoke about in the parable of the prodigal son with the younger son. It's basically the kids saying to the parents, we know better, we don't want you, we're going to do it our way. The reason I'm bringing this up is they're making an active, conscious choice to reject God. This isn't something that they just didn't understand, they didn't know, they were just ignorant of what was going to happen. God's telling them right here, what's going to happen if you do this, and they're choosing another path, another king. Now, at this point, God is the creator and king, could have said, I reject you right back. That's it. You don't want me? Fine. I'll go somewhere else. But we sang about it earlier. God's always faithful, right? He could have done that. But instead, he gives them a warning. He's pleading with them. Look back in the scripture, um, starting in verse 11. I'm just going to highlight a couple of things here that give us a sense of what that warning was. Why did God tell them this, and and what did he tell them? So look at this. 
These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons. He will appoint for himself commanders to plow his ground, reap his harvest, make his implements of war, his chariots. He will take your daughters. He will take the best of your fields. He'll give them to servants. He'll take a tenth of your grain. Do you see a pattern? God's warning them that an earthly king is only going to take from them and is only going to be focused on himself. As you read through the rest of 1 Samuel, and I encourage you to do it, it's a pretty, pretty awesome book, you're going to meet the king that the people wanted. His name is King Saul. He looked the part. In the Bible, it describes him. He was the most handsome man in the nation. He was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. So he's the kind of guy we'd look at and say, yeah, okay, I could, I could see you wearing a crown and walking around. But as soon as you start looking into his heart, you see a complete disconnect. You see self-centeredness. You see pride. You see jealousy. Hatred leading to attempted murder. There's inconsistencies. There's fear. There's him abandoning his role as king. But what you see most of all is a consistent pattern of disobedience to God. Saul always does it his way first. Ultimately, the king that they ended up with was just a reflection of the people. That's what they wanted. They wanted to be able to call their own shots. They wanted to do things their way. They didn't want somebody dictating to them what might be the best way to proceed. Saul definitely was a reflection of the people. But here's the thing, he's also a reflection of us. You know, the Bible tells us over and over we're in the exact same spot, and, and many of you have heard this scripture before, but it certainly bears repeating. It's from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 3. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. This is one of the key truths of the Bible. It's why I stress that at the beginning about them making that conscious choice. We are all in that exact same spot that the Israelites were in. Now, God also shares some consequences of what would happen if a king comes in other than God to rule over them. And we heard about them, but it's also a warning to us. You know, we may not think of people in our lives or, or things in our lives as kings, but the reality is we're all ruled by something. Just take a second and think about it. What do you have in your life that is ruling over you? Is it money? Is it success? Is it unforgiveness? Maybe a relationship, maybe your kids, technology? I know for me, certainly before being saved, the rulers of my life were success, my career, 
and my self-righteousness. Ask anybody. I'd love to tell you how right I was. And I would tell you any opportunity I got. But as I focused on those things, they started to own me. It became my focus point of everything. Another thing for me was comparison. I'm always looking around. Why is that guy able to go on that vacation? Why is his car nicer than mine? Why don't I have a house? I mean, we're the same age. We have the same kind of job. And I was in constant comparison, and it ate me alive. That's what God is warning us here. These are the consequences. When we focus on something and make it the focal point of our lives, it ends up owning us. And just like we described, it only takes from us. Now that's some bad news. I know it's hot. We're already sweating in here. You're probably sweating a little bit more. We're going to get to the good news, I promise. But there's two more things I want to take a look at before we get there. So we've seen the warnings and the consequences. I want to dive into the mindsets a little bit. Why did the Israelite people respond to God's warning the way that they did? And I've been hinting at it, but I want to just call it out. I, I see two different things in the text. I think the second is actually the overriding. But one thing that it clearly shows us of why they wanted a king other than God, they wanted to be like the rest of the world. It says it in verse 5 and again in verse 20. They wanted to fit in. They didn't want to be set apart. That's exactly what God had called them to be. They were, they were called to be a holy nation, which means set apart. They were supposed to be different. But they're looking around saying, I don't know, this looks easier over here. And they kind of get to do what they want to do. Let's do that instead. But here's the second, and I think the overriding reason that actually fuels that first one. And it's pride. They wanted to do things their way. And they wanted to be in charge. That's what it boils down to. God, we know better than you. I've been reading the book, Mere Christianity, by C.S. Lewis, and he devotes an entire chapter to pride. Um, he calls it the great sin, and he describes it this way. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together, but pride always means enmity or hostility. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. He goes on to say this, pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or common sense. I've said it several times now, the Israelites were making a conscious decision to reject God and why they were doing it was because of their pride. And that pride lives in us. As we've seen, all that King Saul was, all that the Israelites are, we fall into the same category. We think we know better, whether we want to admit it or not. And that's the tough thing. If we're not willing to admit it, there's no way we're ever going to get past it, and there's no way we're going to break through that barrier that's between us and God. Let's jump to the next point. 
And this is one that really had me scratching my head as I was preparing. Why did God grant their request for another king? Right? If, if God is good and he is always looking out for what's best for us, why would he allow them to go down this path that he knew was going to lead them to destruction? And I see two reasons that the Bible tells us. And the first one is this. God's looking for a relationship with us, not some blind servitude. You know, he doesn't force us to follow him and to be in that relationship. And he couldn't be a loving God if he did. You know, to be in a real loving relationship with someone, it requires a conscious choice. And because there's a choice, there's also that opportunity for rejection. And that's what we saw the Israelites doing. Now, when I'm talking about that loving relationship that, that God wanted with them and wants with us, I'm not talking about love in sort of the, the sense that, that we think of falling in love or the way I love General So's chicken, right? We all know that, that the word love has really been stripped down over, over the years. The kind of loving relationship that God wants with us is that unwavering, committed, deliberate love. I always struggle to kind of wrap my head around that a little bit, so I was trying to think of some examples. And um, for parents out there, I have, I have two kids. They're great. But the love I have for my kids, when they are pushing every button that you have on the way to church to try to drive you insane, right? But you still love them, right? It's, I was talking to Richard after the second service, and, and, and he reminded me his, his um, daughter growing up, she was five, and they're walking down this path, and it's a really rocky path, and she's like, I don't want your hand. I can do it myself. And he kept saying over and over, this is, this is rough. You've got to be careful. Don't want your help. What does she do? Two steps, flat on her face, right? It's that kind of love. You scoop them back up, Right? You know, for anyone who's lucky enough to have friends out there that are true friends, the type of loving relationship that you're, we're talking about here, it's, it's not just when you're hanging out and having fun, but it's when they're in the lowest point of your life and you're standing right next to them. You know, another example I thought of is, is wives, right? It's how you love your husbands. When we leave the seat up, we tend to say the dumbest possible things that could come out of our mouths, Right? But you still love us, we hope. <laughs> and husbands, let's just be thankful that God has blessed us with wives, okay? That's, that's his love right there, all right? This love is not easy. That's the kind of love that God has for us. That's the relationship that he wants to have with us. And that's why he's going to allow us sometimes to go down paths that we shouldn't go down. And that leads us to the second reason. He does that out of mercy. Just like the little girl walking along and tripping, ah, I can do it myself, I can do it myself. Sometimes we need to go through it and fall flat on our face. Sometimes we need to fall flat on our face a lot before we finally get it. That path we're going down is not the right path. I do need someone to hold my hand. 
That's the kind of love that God has for us. He allows us he get the patience to go through and mess up over and over and over again, and he's right there for us every time, just like he was with the people in 1 Samuel. He's merciful enough to allow us to go through that. So we've looked at a couple of things now. We looked at the warning that God gave. We looked at why the people responded to the warning the way they did and why God responded the way he did. And now I want to look to that last point. Where do we have hope in the midst of this? If everything that we've seen is that we line up just like Saul, just like the Israelites, and we reject God, that our hearts are not following him, where is our hope? Remember what I said about relationships having a choice. We have the opportunity to make a different one than what the Israelites did back in 1 Samuel. Whether you find yourself that you're just ruled completely by something other than God, whether you've got like these little pockets that you just haven't handed over to him yet, you have a way out. And the great thing is, it's open to absolutely everyone. I want to take us to another book in the Bible real quickly to show us where this hope lives, our way out. Um, Hopefully, uh, most of you have been able to read that Explore book over the last couple days or we're walking through the Gospel of John. Um, And when you get to chapter 19, it's like history repeating itself. Exactly what was happening in 1 Samuel was happening again in John 19. Slightly different context. This time, we find God's people rejecting him, but it's in the form of his son, Jesus. Just like the people back then had seen all the miracles, they knew all the stories of how God had pulled them out of Egypt, how he provided for them over and over. People witnessed the miracles of Jesus. They saw how he healed people. They, they heard him speak that just the truth that was coming out of him was undeniable. They even tried him at this point in John 19 and found him completely innocent. But the pride, the pride that the people, his people had blinded them. And they wanted nothing to do with God's son, Jesus. In fact, at one point, they, they just are declaring publicly We don't want him. He is not our king. It's exactly what they were doing in 1 Samuel. And just like in 1 Samuel, God does not force himself on his people, and he grants their request. Jesus, the Son of God, goes on to die on the cross, suffering the greatest injustice ever. But here's where our hope comes from. Unlike giving his people the king that they wanted in 1 Samuel, God gave them the king they needed. A king who was the complete opposite of what we saw in Saul. A king who never abandoned his role, never wavered in his mission, never stopped loving us. In fact, he loved us so much, he was willing to die and take the punishment for your sins and mine a king who rose from the dead and now gives absolutely everyone 
the opportunity for a way out. Jesus Christ is our hope. And this is all it takes to have that hope, to escape the grasp of the other kings, the other rulers in your life. All you need to do is believe in who he is, believing in him, and allowing him to not only be your savior, but also your king. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I want to leave you with this. No matter where you are, no matter how much you feel you've rejected God over the years, that you've just kept turning away, whether you have these small pockets of things that you just haven't given up control of yet, I promise you none of that compares to how much God loves you and wants you to return home to him.